Yeah, there's some of the... We've been having them, and along with Nate, come up at the beginning of, the, of my message for the last several weeks because we, we want to train the prophetic here at the Vineyard. Um, people's lives get changed by prophetic words. And, um, and so we want to we do this. Some of you guys in the room have been forever changed because someone gave you a prophetic word. And so we're going to sow into that. No matter how awkward it is, no matter how, well, how much the learning curve is, we're going to sow into that and sow into that because God has an opinion about every single person here that the world continually covers up. And it's so important that we, that we uncover that and discover that and discover that. And it's also really important when it comes to the prophetic for certain things to be declared over you among the people of God. There, there's a power of God speaking his heart to you in front of everyone else. Um, this isn't the message this morning, but uh, when I was when Heather and I were married, um, when I got when, what's that? Yeah, when we I, on our wedding day. That's what I'm trying to say. I speak for a, I speak for a living, but on our wedding day, my father stood up and he spoke. He spoke his affection over me in a way that he has never spoken his affection over me up to that point. It was. It was soul-shattering. And it wasn't just soul-shattering for me. It was soul-shattering for everyone in the room. If you were there, you know what I'm talking about. And there's something about the Lord speaking His heart over a person in the people of God. It's, it's treasure. Okay? Amen? Hey, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to continue our sermon series here at the Vineyard on our DNA and our Vineyard values. Um, this morning is message number five. If for some reason you have... Missed a message. If you haven't been here, I would strongly encourage you to go back and listen to the audio archive. I feel like some of these messages that we've that we've had for the last couple of weeks have been some of our most important in in a year or two. I think I think the Lord is really speaking through them. And especially if you're looking to connect and hook in here at the Vineyard, you, you need to know because this is who we are. Um, this is our way of introducing ourselves to so many new people. But in addition to that, uh, reaffirming what God has done here. Uh, those banners on the back of the wall, they're our values, but they're really they're more than our values. It's the DNA. When this church was conceived, it was conceived as an act of passion, just like, a, just like a baby is conceived. It was an act of passion. It was more passion than it was intention, if that makes sense. And in that moment, there, there, were, there was an exchange that happened, just like in natural conception where the mother and the father provides DNA and genetic material to the baby. God provided genetic material to this, this group of people. There were things that were established from the very beginning that have been with us throughout every year here at the Vineyard and, and are becoming more and more magnified and they're making us more and more who we are, if that makes sense, right? Um, and one of the things I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to talk to you about the DNA of radical generosity. Radical generosity. Um, when, when we're talking about radical generosity here at the Vineyard, what we're talking about is we're talking about our tendency to be givers and to find joy in it. When we're talking about radical generosity here at the Vineyard, we're talking about our passion as the people of God corporately and, the, and our passion as the people of God individually to give away every single thing we've been given. Not some things, everything. Everything we've been given. When we're talking about radical generosity here at the Vineyard, we're talking about living with an awareness that God has richly blessed us with talents and intellect and money and compassion and ideas and hope 
and that we will not foolishly keep them to ourselves. So radical generosity here at the Vineyard, it includes money, but it's not just about money. It's about, it's about whole life. When we're talking about radical generosity here at the Vineyard, we're talking about living free of anxiety. And there's a, there's a particular kind of anxiety that, that exists among people, and it's the anxiety that runs alongside this idea that I won't have enough. And so when we're talking about radical generosity at the Vineyard, we're talking about living free of anxiety. When we're talking about radical generosity here at the Vineyard, we're talking about knowing deep on the inside that God knows what I need. And because He knows what I need, I can be generous. And when we're talking about radical generosity here at the Vineyard, we're talking about living so aware of God and so aware of His hand in our lives. little feather. That survival thinking is eliminated from our minds and hearts. Survival mentality. Can I tell you something? Survival is not the most important thing in life. It's actually not the most important thing in life. Especially if you have eternal life on the inside. Hanging on to a temporal life that will one day end is not the most important thing. Because you've got a life that will never end already. And so, survival is not the most important thing. Survival thinking isn't the most important thing. Poverty mindsets that cause us to realize what we don't have more than what we do have kill. And we want no part of it. And so when we're talking about radical generosity at the Vineyard, we're talking about living with an awareness of what we have way more than what we don't have. And when we're talking about radical generosity at the Vineyard, We're talking about living with an awareness deep on the inside that everywhere we go, we're carrying solution for people. So when we encounter a need in the world, it's not someone else's deal and it's not even God's deal. It's us. Because God lives in me. Every time I walk into a room, I carry the solution for what's in the room, for the need that's in the room. I carry it everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, everywhere I go, everywhere I go. We're the people of God, richly blessed, presence near us, Jesus on the inside, and because of that, we carry a solution everywhere we go. And radical generosity is living with that awareness and the willingness to act on it. So here at the Vineyard, one of the things we want to do is we want to embrace generosity in every dimension and very early on, um, the leaders at the Vineyard, we, we made a decision early on, and we've let it be a guiding principle. Um, and, and the decision runs like this. If we have to choose between being wise and being generous, we will choose generosity every single time here at the Vineyard. Because one of the things that we've realized is that the poverty spirit, survival thinking, fear, and stinginess oftentimes masquerades as wisdom. Almost every time, in fact. And so if we have to choose between doing what everyone thinks is wise and giving it all away, we're going to give it all away. Every single time. And at the end of the day, one of the other things we found out is this. It's just more fun to give it away. Uh, One of the things I've noticed in my own life is that it's more fun to bail out than to be bailed out. I've also found out that it's, it's more fun to surprise than to be surprised. Um, In fact, I can't keep secrets. 
especially when it comes to giving, I can never keep secrets. I can keep other secrets. They, I, I, have so, I keep so many secrets. In fact, it's one of the reasons I think I'm going crazy. But when it comes to giving, I can never keep a secret. Like at Christmas time, once I buy Heather's present, I tell her what it is two days later. Like I, I have a maximum of 48 hours. That's as long as I can keep it on the inside. And so the strategy these days is I don't buy Heather's gift until December 23rd. Why? Because it's, it's more fun. It's actually more fun to give things away than it is to get them. It's more fun to bail out than to be bailed out. It's more fun to surprise than to be surprised. And we've just found that. And one of the... And one of the reasons I bring it up is because there's a certain aspect of joy and fun that should be in church that won't be there unless the church embraces radical generosity. Like, you ever walked into church and it's just like, dude, this place sucks. One of the reasons you're feeling that is because oftentimes the church is the least generous place in the world. Why? Because we're wise. We're sowing into wisdom. That's sarcasm. Just want to put that out there. Uh, one of the things that we've done this year, we used to do it a, a long time ago. We got away from it. We came back to it in 2012, and it was incredibly fun. Uh, here at the Vineyard, we have we do a budget. It's awful. I hate doing the budget. It's my least favorite thing I do all year long. But I do it. It's important. And in our budget, uh, we give away a tithe. So we give away 10% of everything that comes in. In fact, we give away a lot more than that, but we have a particular amount. We give away a tithe. And our heart as the leaders of the vineyard is, is that we want to lose, this is the phrase we use, we want to lose control of it. Meaning we want to give with no expectation that we're buying anything or that there's any sort of reciprocity. We're not looking for reciprocity. We want to get it out. Does that make sense? And so... We break our 10% tithe up and we break it up into individual percentages and we sow those things into different places. And this year we decided in 2012, we'd go back to this little tradition that we had a long time ago and that we were going to give away 3% of our budget, total budget, to um, area churches and that we would write one check every quarter. So we'd give away 3% each quarter to a different church. That meant in 2012 that we were able to take a check to four different churches here in town. And let me tell you, it was incredibly fun and weird. Here's why. Uh, I'll tell you two stories in particular. Number one, uh, Jesse took a check to one church here in town, and they didn't cash it for four weeks because it took Jesse four weeks to convince them that we weren't trying to trick them. For four weeks, there was there was phone conversations, text messages, and emails for four weeks because the the woman was convinced that we were that w- there was a catch. In fact, she kept saying, what's the deal? Jesse kept saying, there is no deal. We, just take it. What do you want us to do with it? We don't care. Just take it. It was so fun. Then, then in another place, uh, we, we sowed some money. And uh, the pastor calls me at a very high volume, splitting my eardrum. And he was blown away. He, he told me, he said, Adam, no one has ever given me one penny. No one has ever sown one penny into my ministry. And I've been doing this for over 20 years. Whoa. Whoa. Can I tell you why we, we would take four weeks for us to convince a church that we're not trying to trick them and why another pastor would call me on the phone ecstatic because no one had ever sown even one penny into his ministry? Can I tell you what that is? There's a dirty secret in the church and it's called competition. And competition is everywhere. Like other pastors, like pastors compete with each other. 
Like, we do. Like, once we find out that somebody's church is blowing up, we're like, oh, bless them, brother. And we go home, we're like, you know? We, that's the truth. And so for, a few, so for a few thousand dollars, you know, the vineyard was able to begin to dismantle the spirit of competition that rules in this area. It was phenomenal. And it's really fun. It's really, really fun. But what I want to do this morning in particular is I want to talk about the theology of giving and generosity. And I just want to look at essentially one verse this morning. And by the way, you guys can relax. This isn't a tithing message. It's actually, it's actually way more intense than that. If you, if you hear what I'm going to say, it's actually more intense than that. Um, I, want to, I want to talk about the theology of giving in one verse. And why don't we read it together? It's the most famous verse in the whole Bible. Bam. All right. We're going to read it off of this screen because I don't need your weird translation jacking us all up, okay? So here we go. On the count of three. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. NIV. Yeah, in this one verse, the most probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible, we have the essential elements of a theological understanding of giving and generosity. Um, I'd like to begin by saying this. It's like father, like sons and daughters. You ever heard that saying, like father, like son? Well, we're expanding it this morning because we believe in women. <laughs> like father, like sons and daughters. And w- one of the things that we see in this particular verse And it's a foundational truth about who God is. It's a foundational understanding. It's a foundational revelation of God. It's this, that the Father is a giver. You see that? The Father is a giver. James says that every good and perfect gift comes from who? Father of lights. See, God is a giver. Um, God has always been a giver. And when he created the planet and he made human beings, he was doing so out of his own generosity. Like, you're sitting here because God gave life. I mean, it's down to that element. It's so elemental. It's so in in his nature and who he is. So God gives life. And then you guys know the story. Adam and Eve sin. And then they realize they're naked. And then they grab some leaves and they cover themselves up a little bit. And God comes in and says... Hey, what's going on? And in this transaction, one of the things that the scripture tells us is that God ends up giving them new clothes. I love that moment. You know why? Because it shows us that God is a giver, not just of life, but he's a giver of gifts, even to people who are bad doing bad things. Like even, even when, when a person is in, in, in sin, even when a person is doing what they shouldn't have done, there was like one rule. They broke it. One rule broken. God will come and he will give. Why will God come and give to people who break one rule? Because it's just who he is. And then he's doubled down on the gift of life by giving his one and only son. And by the way, I read the Bible. And one of the things I realized about this, when it says that God gave, God gave his one and only son, he was under no contractual agreement to do so. He didn't have to. There was, there was nowhere in the cosmos where God had signed 
a document. He had met with no lawyer. There, there, was, there was no document. There was, there was no one who said, you made me a promise. You have to do this. God was under no obligation to give anyone anything. And he ends up giving his own son. And one of the things that tells us about radical generosity is this, that radical generosity is about giving what you do not have to give, doing what you do not have to do. Can I tell you something? If you are simply, if you're simply doing what you're supposed to do, it isn't radical and it isn't generous. The essence of radical generosity is doing what you don't have to do, giving what you don't have to give, going where you don't have to go. And it's the essence of who the Father is. He's under no contractual agreement to give the world His Son, but He gives the world His Son anyway. And it's, it's the essence of Christian generosity. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you should go the extra mile. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone asks you for your cloak, you should give him your tunic as well. It's the essence of... It's life with God stuff. And then look at this next part. It says that not only that God gave, but He gave His one and only. His one and only. Jesus is the one and only Son of God. And for that reason, He's precious. Scarcity increases the value. We understand that, right? Gold's valuable for a reason. There isn't much of it. There's more dirt than there is gold. God had one Son, and and for that reason, He's precious. I know at my house, when, when we get down to one Coke, I get a little buggedy. I, I do. Do you know what happens when you get down to one Coke? Can I tell you what, what happens when you get down to one Coke? I wish it were that, I wish it, that, were, that, were, I wish that would happen. It, it's, that, that form of justice never happens. When you get down to one Coke, this is what happens. Someone drinks it. And in my case, it's always Richard Fogler. I I promise you, this is the God's honest truth. That I will not see Richard Fogler at my house for two months. I'll get down to one Coke. Richard's there, drinking it. I'll walk in. He's drinking my Coke. If I want Richard to come to my house, all I have to do is drink 11 Cokes and leave one in the refrigerator. When you get down to one Coke, it's precious. It's like, it's like pure gold. A lot of you guys are students. Um, maybe, or maybe you remember this, even if you're not a student. Presumably everyone went to school at some point. How many of you all remember, it's at the end of the semester, and you've got one test left, and you need to make an A on it so you can pass. Dude, that's me right there. That's always me. When, when there's one test left and you need to make a good grade in order to pass, that one test is precious. It means everything. Those are a little bit silly. Something maybe a, a bit more serious. How many of you have ever been around a woman who couldn't have a baby and she really wanted to have a baby? Maybe she tried for years, like for years and years. And she did everything that you do to have a baby. And she just like, she goes to every doctor, takes all kinds of pills and hormones and shots and goes through all sorts of brutal medical stuff that just eviscerates the budget and her body. And then she finally gets pregnant. 
How many of you know that baby's precious? And so that's what we have. God had one son, and he gave him away. Absolute precious. It's, it's hard to overstate the preciousness of Jesus to the Father. And not only that, but you understand that, that Father, Son, and Spirit had lived together in perfect harmony, in perfect family, in perfect communion for eons. They had never not been. And God saw the low condition of the world, and He gave up His Son. Can I tell you something? I'm already dreading the day that my children move out. Why? Because I love them. I just, I'm just crazy about them. I don't, I don't want them to move out. I wish it wouldn't turn them into total weirdos if they stayed at home. I'd lo- I would love to have my 30-year-old kids at home. I would love it. I'm dreading it. How many of you know that when... When Jesus moved out and was born, the earth rejoiced and the Father shed a tear. It was pain. I'll guarantee you this. It was pain in his heart when Jesus left. Why? Because he'd been with them forever. So God gives his one and only son. And by the way, God didn't give him to the good people. He didn't give him to the deserving people. Jesus wasn't the diploma given to a graduating world. No, he was the call from the governor at midnight granting clemency. You see, the Father gave Jesus to wicked people, to murderers and to rapists and to thieves and lying, cheating, scoundrels, drug-addicted, shopaholic, raging, narcissist, petty, selfish, talk behind your back, watch pornography, don't tell anybody and act holy, Jesus, jealous, envious, never take responsibility for anything, rebellious, scheming, cheat on your wife, cheat on your husband, never take out the trash, never mow the lawn, look down on people who don't take out the trash or mow the lawn. That's who God gave Jesus to. He's so generous. And his generosity shows us that radical generosity doesn't put anything off limits even the things that we hold dear as precious. See, it isn't radical generosity until you're willing to give up what's precious. Some people can write a really big check and it not be radical generosity. It's not precious. There's more where that came from. A never-ending supply. But God had one and he gave it up. Two things there. Number one, God's generosity knows no limits. He will give everything he has. He will give even the most precious thing he has. And then beyond that, the thing that really confounds me is God is willing to give his absolute best stuff to the worst people. It's crazy. What is radical generosity? It is living a life where nothing's off limits. And then beyond that, it's willing to give your very best stuff to the least deserving people. Sometimes we're like, well, there's that bum on the corner and I'm not going to give him any money because he's probably just going to buy alcohol. You're missing the point. You are absolutely missing the point. You know why? Because God gave his son for the bum on the corner who's going to buy alcohol. And then you're wondering whether or not you should give him 20 bucks. Brenda, please. (laughs) 
See, God gives even what he holds is precious. Some of us are willing to give money just as long as we don't have to give time. Some of us are willing to give time so long as we don't have to give money. Some of us are willing to give time and money just as long as we don't have to give you our knowledge. See, in my own life, I'm willing to give money. I'll write the check just as long as you leave. Just, you know, it's like if writing a check can solve this, let's just write the check and then I'll go on to do what I want to do, right? But radical generosity says nothing's off limits. My checkbook isn't off limits. My, my time isn't off limits. And what I know isn't off limits. Like some of us will want to protect our knowledge, like the thing that we're good at, the thing that we get our identity from. We want to keep our trade secrets and we don't want to tell anyone else. And when we do that, we're actually moving in a direction that ensures that we'll never increase in knowledge. As crazy as that sounds. In fact, if you want to increase, there's always this aspect of you have to give it away. Like when it comes to knowledge, the way to increase in knowledge is to give away what you have. How many of you have ever taught something? When you teach something, you realize how much you don't know. Uh, the, the world's smartest people who know the most are the ones who have given away the most. And radical generosity means giving away what took you 30 years to get so that someone else can get it in two months. And being okay with it. Being okay with them not having to go through the hoops that you had to go through, not having to grind their face off for the things you had to grind for. That's radical generosity. That's what God does. He gives His very best people and He gives His very best stuff to the very worst people. That's our Father. And our, the reason I wanted to make such a big deal about that part is this. It's because we have His DNA in us. Like by the Spirit, we have the Father's DNA in us. He's planted it in us as individuals and then He's planted it in this church. And so what it means for us to live life with Jesus is it means that we're given to radical generosity. It means that our checkbook isn't off limits. It means that our time isn't off limits. It means that our, 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 our knowledge and the stuff that, that we find identity in, it's not off limits. It means that it's, it's there to be given away. It means that we've been, we've been given a generous spirit just like some of you fathers have given your sons blonde hair or blue eyes. So we have that one. Number one, our father is a giver. So we're givers. And then number two, Jesus is a present. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The father gives and Jesus is a present. Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there's two kinds of presents. There's things you need and there's things you want, right? Things you need, things you want. Things you need. Uh, I, I have a few things that I want. I have one thing that I want right now in particular. I want a, um, I want a resonator guitar. Do you guys know what those are? It's like the Dobro style guitars, but I don't want to play Dobro. I want a round neck. I don't want a square neck. I want a round neck one. And I don't want the cheap $500 Gretsch. I don't want it. I want the $3,000 National, the green one, the metal one. And I want, to, I want to finger pick it. And I want to play records with it. And that's what I want. What I need is socks. <laughs> but what I want, what I want is this resonator guitar. Christmas time is always really funny around my house because my wife will ask me, what do you want? And I always tell her, well, the truth is you can't afford what I want. So don't give me anything. I always tell her, don't give me anything. You can't afford what I want. All the things you can afford, I already have. It sounds rude. It's not. It's just, you know, like, babe, another pair of jeans. Don't need them. I want the guitar, babe. So there's two things. 
two kinds of gifts, things we need, things we want. And what I want to point out about this is that we in the church have suffered because we've treated, like Jesus, we've treated Jesus like the socks we need when he's actually the consummation to our deepest desires. Like we're all, we all live with a certain level of awareness that we need Jesus. Like especially when I get really sideways and screw life up a little bit, I come back to that reality that, you know what I need? I, I need Jesus. Um, what is more subtle but actually more dynamic in terms of changing your life and making you a new person is when you wake up to the fact that Jesus is what you want. In fact, every desire that you have, every single desire that you have, every longing, every, every ounce of heartache, and every ounce of want in your life is ultimately a desire for Jesus. In fact, there is no desire that you have that will ever be satisfied in any place other than Jesus. Some of us in the room are like, you know what I really want? I really, 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 really want to meet my husband. And you think you're going, to, you're going to be satisfied when you meet your husband. Let me tell you, about six months after you get married, you're going to be less satisfied than ever. Why? Your wife will never satisfy you. Your husband will never, ever satisfy you. There's a satisfaction that can only, only, only come from Jesus. You think what you really want is a new car in the garage? No, what you want is your... It, it's, it, that's a distraction that's meant to be filled in Jesus. No, I don't care. Buy two new cars. Put them both in the garage. I don't care. Neither does Jesus. But, if you, but the thing is, not buying into the lie that the new car in the garage is going to make me satisfied. It won't. You'll go out, you'll drive it three miles, and it'll still have the new car smell in it, and you'll come home and you'll be like, huh, it's kind of a bummer. You know how I know that? I've done it. I've done it. You think, what I really, really want is a promotion. And you'll work and you'll beat your brains out and you'll get the promotion and you'll drink a really nice glass of wine and right before you go to sleep, you'll realize, I'm not satisfied. It's the biggest bummer in life. Jesus is the one thing that satisfies. I want to read a scripture to you. I've been thinking about this one all week. In John 7, this is what Jesus says. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Anybody in here thirsty? The truth is everybody in here is thirsty. We all have different appetites. Everybody in here wants something a little bit different. But the truth is, in life, everybody's thirsty. And the only place that you're going to get a drink that satisfies, that quenches your thirst, is Jesus. Get a girlfriend. She won't satisfy. Make her your wife. She still won't satisfy. Buy a car. Won't satisfy. Get a boat. It won't satisfy. Buy a bigger boat. It won't satisfy either. The reason I bring this up is it's very important. It's this. Because one of the things that this shows us, not only is Jesus is a gift, and he's not just the gift you need, but he's actually the gift that fulfills what you want. And this is really important because, because God is not simply interested in meeting needs. See, we, we believe that God is simply interested in meeting needs. I'm here to tell you, God is actually not that interested in meeting needs alone. He is way more interested 
in touching desire. He is, he is way more interested in, in, in awakening delight. And he is way more into pleasure than he is just a cold, dry, cut, rote, religious, stiff meeting needs. And everyone in the world thinks that Jesus is just here to meet needs. When we believe that Jesus is here to meet needs, we take the Son of God, the most beautiful person in the world, and we turn him into Christmas socks. You see, his generosity is, is, is to the essential, but it's also to the extravagant. God is the chef who cooks not just to nourish, but to excite your taste buds. How do I know this? I know this because he's the master vintner and Jesus made 180 gallons of wine, the very best wine for people who were already drunk. Some of you are like, that's grape juice. Wrong. It wasn't grape juice. It was wine. They have a word for grape juice in Greek. It's called grape juice. (laughs) Jesus made 180 gallons of the best wine for people who were already drunk. What's that about? It's that he doesn't want to just meet a need. He wants, to, he wants to sow into extravagance and delight. That's what generosity is. Generosity is not simply meeting people's needs, but it's, it's going that extra mile and beginning to touch the things that are the dreams of people's hearts and sowing into delight, sowing into dreams, sowing into hopes, sowing into the frivolous, sowing into the extravagant, sowing into the things that no one needs to get by, but it's actually the thing you most need to get by. If you never have your wants touched, you'll be the most bitter person ever. See, a good father doesn't simply provide for his children's needs. He goes the extra mile and he begins to take care of their wants as well. This is who God is. God isn't simply the person who's out there going, you know what, you're a sinful person and you need a savior. He's way more than that. Oh my gosh, it's the tragedy of the kingdom. The tragedy in the church is that we believe Jesus is just about salvation. Come down, pray a simple prayer, get baptized and live like hell. And by the way, you can put up John 3.16. I want to go on a rabbit trail. And by the way, when it says, shall not perish but have eternal life, eternal life doesn't mean heaven. In the Gospel of John, eternal life never means heaven. Because heaven means someplace else, some other day. Eternal life is now, here in the present. What is eternal life? What is it that Jesus has come to give? John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, some of us think that God is playing a game with us, that he wants to just meet our need, keep us from going to hell. The truth is, heaven is here already. And that the best parts of life are not the ones that have to be waited for. That they're actually already here. And so, Vineyard, one of the things that I'm convinced of is this. I'm convinced that God is, is drawing us as a body and as, as individuals into a generosity that is concerned with needs, but also a generosity that just touches longing and desire. Because when longing and desire get touched, beauty, pleasure, and delight get exposed. 
And God is into beauty. God is into beauty for no other sake. God is into beauty for beauty's sake alone. God is into beauty that means nothing other than beauty. We're so connected in the church to ideas that everything has to have purpose. God is into beauty that has no purpose. Other than it's just simply beautiful. And you'll, we'll never... And by the way, beauty that has no purpose is almost always connected to glory. And we'll never move into glory so long as we keep this small, survivalistic mindset of meeting needs alone. It's got to go one step beyond. Why would God do that? Last point. Why would God do that? Why would God... Why is God a giver? And then why would God give His very best to the very worst? Very simple. For the sake of love. For God so loved the world that He gave. Why did God give? Because He loves... And by the way, when the Bible says that he loved the world, it means that he loved the whole world, all the people, even the ones you hate. I love this quote by Annie Lamont. She says, you can be sure that you've created a God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. (laughs) It's a bit cynical, but I like it. See, generosity is really an expression of love. Generosity... Generosity is a heart so invested that giving is as natural as breathing. It's the instinct of a heart on fire. Generosity is what grows out of, out of the soil of love. How many of you know this? That you can give and not love. It'll make you more bitter. But you can't love and never give. You can't. If you're in love, you'll give. When I first fell in love with Heather... There was, there was no end to what I would do. I mean, I, I, you know, I was like 17, and for whatever reason, I was one of those high school boys that always had money in my pocket. I always had a lot of money. I carried like four or 500 bucks around all the time. I just worked hard, and I had cash. And it was never off limits to her. Some of my, some of my guy friends would be like, how are you going to spend all that on your girlfriend? I'd be like, man, I'm crazy about her. How are you not going to spend it on your girlfriend? I want to seal the deal, man. I don't want to lose this. Come on. See, you can, you can give and not love, but you can never love and not give. If you don't give, you're not in love. If we're not living... this, By the way, this is the really hard word from Pastor Adam, so it's, I just want to brace you. Everybody braced? Okay, good. The really hard word is this. If you're not living a generous life, it's really proof that you're not in love. And if you're not in love, it's really just, it's really just proof that you haven't yet awakened to the fact that God really, really loves you. And then he's really good to you. If you're just living for your own little kingdom, like your own little 20 acres, if you're looking to just build a bigger barn than the one you already have, you've never even built a fence for your neighbor, just because, then it's really proof that you haven't encountered love yet. It's a bit of a barometer there. One last thing about generosity growing out of love. And I actually think this is the most important thing I've come to say this morning. Is that when generosity grows out of love, nothing is ever lost. This gets right down to the the bare bones of what we really believe about God. And it gets right down to the bare bones about what we believe about people and life. 
But when you give from a place of love, you can never really lose anything that you give. See, God looked at the world in a really, really horrible place and he gave his one and only precious son and Jesus was murdered and he laid in a tomb absolutely dead for three days. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't in a coma. He, he wasn't faking. He wasn't feigning. It wasn't a trick. He was stone cold dead. The blood wasn't moving. And he came back to life. He was resurrected. And there's a great deal of hope in that for me because what it means is that every single thing that is given in love will never really die or go away. You can never really lose it. And uh, as I was praying this week, I was, I was reminded by the Lord um, of, of one thing in particular. And I think it's for our church this morning, early and late service, that, that there are parents in the room who have sown sown generously, have sown love generously into their children and your children have forsaken the faith and they've walked away and they, and they actually hate you now and they don't even like you very much. And, and the good news is nothing sown in love is ever lost. Ever, ever. Like, like your son or your daughter may be, they may be laying in the tomb right now, like completely dead, completely like blood's not moving, no life. Like there's something in there, but it just isn't the, the life of the kingdom. And the good news is, that every single thing that you ever gave in love will come back to life. And that, that goes for us in every single direction. Anything given in love is never lost. Changes forms. And it always comes back with more. And, and I love this in the, in the story and the narrative of Jesus. So God had one and only son, his precious son, and he gave him and he was murdered and he laid stone cold dead in the grave. And then he was resurrected and then by a work of the Spirit, God has sons and daughters, innumerable sons and daughters. So the father who only had one now has innumerable sons and daughters. In the first chapter of John, it says, to them that believe, he gave the right to be called sons of God, children of God. Isn't that amazing? Everything given in love comes back and it comes back with more. Amen? Amen. Hey, why don't you stand up? I want to pray for you. If you're on the ministry team this morning, please come forward. Do not delay. Do not pass go. Well, uh, the Lord wants to do a few things this morning, uh, especially for a lot of us in the room. Um, I have a feeling that Today's message maybe landed on some people in a particular way, and the Lord just wants to, he wants to add his amen to it. Um, after I'm finished praying, um, some of you may need to come forward and receive prayer just because you know that you want to lean into generosity more, that it hasn't necessarily been an expression of your own life, and you want to lean into it more. And if that's you, then you need to come forward this morning. We want to pray for you. Um, it's not a walk of shame. It's, it's, it's the empowerment of the Spirit. Also, this morning, um, some of us in the room probably are having a hard time believing me when I say that God is not simply interested in meeting needs, but he wants, to, he wants to touch desire as well. And some of you have had hopes, dreams, and desires that just sort of stay out there in the ether and they feel like they floated away. And um, you probably need to come forward this morning so that, so that you can receive some prayer and God can re-encourage the, the, the desires of your heart. The Bible says if you, if you delight in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. 
I love that scripture. It's so interesting to me. The, the, the scripture doesn't say, if you know the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. It also doesn't say, if you obey the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's, it's actually possible to know and disobey the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. How scandalous is that? Because the only thing that's required is delight. Amen? Father, we just love you here this morning. And God, we ask that radical generosity would be, would be a, the natural expression of your people here at the Vineyard. God, I ask that, um, that you would, in increasing ways, begin to awaken our heart to giving. Not just in money, God, but, but in time and in our expertise. And in all the ways that, that reflect you. Father, I ask that we would be people who meet the needs of those around us. But God, I ask that you would give us unique opportunities to go beyond meeting needs and to touch, touch the realm of desire and to touch the realm of, of want. Father, I ask that you, would, that you would bless us in such an extravagant way that we could actually begin to, to satisfy wants in our city. God, I ask that you would make us the people who, who are able to to answer prayers that people have prayed their whole life. God, would you give us the facility to be able to answer prayers that people prayed their entire life, God? And we ask it in your name. Amen. Hey, if you need to respond, you come on up. If you're sick in your body, we want to pray.